really wanted to have a tiny bit of magic yes. in people's heads. I think it's something really wonderful when you pull something off and people yeah, have that little moment of, I don't know how they did that. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with George, aka Superbard. Hello, George. Hi, how are you doing? I'm I'm good. I'm uh, this is the last day of me being in the festival at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I've been here since Friday and so to explain my voice is going and I'm very tired because I've hardly slept which is a very representative state to be in at the Edinburgh Fringe I think. Yeah my schedule has been rather hectic but I think you are beating me for hectic schedule. Yeah but only because I'm only here for a few days if I was (laughs) was here as long as you I would have to face myself. I've never been this intensive before but it's been fun. Cool. So apologies to the listeners if I am not able to formulate sentences as well as normal. <laughs> the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? I think you probably saw a show of mine uh, when I was performing at, uh, gosh, what was the night? Uh, it's the one that Al runs, which is... Autumn Shift. Autumn Shift. The Dog Star in Brixton was the first time I saw you. Oh, well, you saw me at that one, did you? Yeah, yeah. and then I saw you again later at the Hackney Attic. And I performed for them a few times and they're, yeah. they're really great people and then Al suggested that I get in touch with you and do your night stand-up tragedy. That's right. Which is a really fun one to do with those kids. Well, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you found it so. I was really pleased to have you on the night. I mean, I know you weren't 100% happy with, with how that went down. No, actually, because I know you podcast that one. I was still doing it. It was a work in progress, sort of to some extent. I thought it was there. I did it with you for the first time. I found out that it was still much more of a work in progress than I thought it was. So the actual piece is it up in my current show yeah, but right. it's changed somewhat substantially yeah, I was really Im- impressed and interested in how you changed it actually I mean I because I, I I've s- sort of seen you a number of times mm. and you know the f- I think the first time I saw you you had technical difficulties which is a problem for anybody who's so reliant on technology I yeah. felt for you um, and then the second time I saw you you did a piece you also went into your final show with the two audience members standing up and um, and then when you did Stand Up Tragedy I thought you were good at Stand Up Tragedy you know I didn't think it was bad I wouldn't have podcasted it if I thought it was bad I think it's one of those things for me that I I'm one of those horrendous people that I often think it hasn't gone as well because it's not it's not necessarily other people might think it's alright and it's good yeah. but I know that I can do better we're, we're, I think we're the same in that I performed in Spark London the other night in the festival yeah. and I was beating myself up about you know getting the story in the wrong order and stuff and everybody exactly. kept telling me it's good and I was like yeah, like, I can't deal well with it you know, when they say it so I'm like I know how it should have been yeah, so exactly. I relate to that but I mean that said you know I thought what you do is a uh, uh, stand up tragedy was good cool. but I didn't think it was like amazing and then I saw the show the other night Superbad starts to save the world and I thought it was just amazing I gotta say like I've been telling everybody to go and see it I really was blown away uh, which was a surprise to me because I I, I I liked what you do uh-huh. but I didn't didn't know you were like yeah I hadn't seen you put it all together in such it's, a perfect way you know it's something for me that I've started to realize that when I do these little I do you know little extract shows around the first place yeah. and it tends to be all developing up to one big 50-minute piece but for me it's it's about the 50-minute piece yeah. and that's when I finally get all the themes and everything together and it's just about length of time or working on something I'm, one of these people that believes it's never complete and so yeah you've seen a couple of the pieces from it that have gone into the show but I've been touring those putting those together and you've changed them massively and edited them and And it's just how they fit together with the other scenes that makes like it's the sum of the parts yeah someone who does stuff myself like work in progress stuff I understand the principle you have to do work that doesn't always work and doesn't come off. You have to put it in in spaces and try different things after that gig. You know, I listened back to the podcast and thought, okay, well, that bit didn't quite work. Why is it not quite working? What can I do to really fix it up and sort it together? And I mean, is it a weird thing though? Because I guess when you do all of those extracts of the final piece at all of these shows, when their work's in progress, it's, it's important for your artistic development of the show. Yeah. But of course, it means that you're giving out giving something, out that's, something not that's not quite, that's not quite right. Yeah. I don't think anything 
ever is, is, finished. is finished or Perfect, quite yeah. ready. Like for me, it's yeah, I will. The show will change as we go on. Oh, not, yeah, it should. I mean, every, every show should change but, over the run. I think. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's already changed from the first few performances, but it's yeah, you have to put out something that's not ready. Otherwise, you're not going to get it quite right in the end. And unfortunately, you have to make these gambles and say, okay, well this is ready enough let's go for it and yeah. let's do it somewhere and then <laughs> you decide it's not but that's no I mean I, I totally I totally get you I mean I do that with music and stuff like that I should say we're recording in uh, Edinburgh Waverley train station which is where you can occasionally hear trains and we're in a cafe Nero which is where you can hear music so yeah but anyway I mean I do that myself and uh, in fact podcasting is kind of like the first mm. podcast I did was like really rubbish like the first one I did on my own not, yeah. not, not ones I'd done before that but the first one I did on my own was, was rubbish but I'm really glad I did it because it gave because I learned so much from Absolutely, it and I'm then sure. I yeah. shared it on the internet and now I've got to deal with the fact that you know people heard, heard the rubbish podcast and then you know that that means that when I when I developed getting better acquainted it's, it took quite a long time I think I've done it now but it took a long time to win everybody back round <laughs> you know what I mean like, what's quite weird for me actually being up in Edinburgh is there like a, some sketch show and some artists and stuff that I saw maybe four or five years ago and some of them I thought were rubbish yeah. like were really not very good so they've come up to the Edinburgh and they've done a shaky material show and it's left thinking they were awful but then sometimes you go and see them in four or five years time and suddenly they're brilliant and yeah. they're amazing and it just comes from honing your craft and well, really I mean I had exactly that I mean it, it, I never thought you were rubbish but I never knew that you would have something so I mean when I first got to the festival I um bumped into Lucy by, yeah. by accident and uh, she's, I said, you know, got any recommendations? She said, Superbar's show is really charming, she said, right? And I was going to see your show anyway because I was going to do this conversation. Yeah. The word charming doesn't sound things to me necessarily. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, but when I went to see it, like the only word I could come up with afterwards was it just charmed me. Like it, 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 it took me into this world that you'd created and just, I just felt, you know, I felt warm coming out of it, like glowing, positive, and moved, and sort of ch- sort of changed. Even though, like, you're slightly ironic in the show about the idea of changing yeah. us and changing the world, I, I did feel like you know you you taken me. I, I completely suspended my disbelief and was in you, with 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 you in the moment. You know? That's uh, that's brilliant. I mean, I mean, that's obviously what I'm going for. It's amazing. Um, it's kind of weird, in fact, how many reviewers so far have used the word charming or charmed <laughs> at some point. That's great. Last year's show had much more of a morose ending. It was much more, in some ways, I would say, the last year's show was a bit more nuanced, really, particularly in terms of the way people felt coming out. It was a much more mixed emotion piece. Okay. It's really lovely leaving the show <laughs> this time and just looking at all these people with big grins on their faces it just makes me think why am I doing this why did I do this mixed emotion nonsense that's one of the things I think you do so well in the piece is just like you you manipulate in a good way our emotions like you use the techniques of film scoring like it's a completely scored piece and you feel like sad like at the right times and then it's sort of like yeah and then hopefully yeah leave you on this big wonderful high and, and that's that's what's been really nice about the few performances. Seeing audiences leave with that high is just really gratifying. It's, yeah, it feels good. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm a convert. I mean, I'm, I'm really, you know, proselytizer of it now. It was, it was, yeah, it was great. I, I mean, I think you used audience participation in perhaps one of the best ways I've ever seen. Like, I doubt that. Even though I think you actually you, you're quite demanding of the audience in, a, in, a, yeah. in what you do, or uh, two members of the audience sit <laughs> there, if you're unlucky enough to be those those members. But it, but I think I I I I, I reckon that nobody's going to be upset that they were chosen in that piece. Like it's, I hope so. I hope you know some audience interaction can be quite harsh and yes. quite mean. And yes. although I do tease, yeah, you tease uh, I definitely nice. tease. But the point for me has always been to have those two members of the audience that I picked to also leave having having fun, and it's not to be nasty to them. It's because it will make it a better story rather than just because I wanted to get audience interaction and it was to make it a bit yeah. better piece, I think. Well, I saw, that was one of the two bits that I'd seen in advance of the show. Mm. And when I saw it in the Hackney Attic, 
I mean, that's quite a harsh room for you. I mean, I'll get into what I think makes your show work so well. But in the Hat in the Attic, I didn't think that the chemistry came about in the same kind of way that it comes about now. When I saw it the first time, I was like, that's a very risky move, and I don't know if it's working or it's not. But now, some I don't know what you've done, but you've just like, turned the switch and just tuned I, it in right. I forget which version I did in the Hat in the Attic. This particular piece has been through loads. Yeah, really, I bet, I bet. really worked it. It started off actually started off as a five minute piece in the BAFC. They have like a scratch night where they ask artists to come in and do just little five, ten minute bits and I, I did it to begin with and it was just a very, really very simple love story told between two members of the audience and that went well and it went from there essentially and so was that going the, with it. Th- that was the start of the whole piece? The that was story. the initial idea, okay. the love story, everything built from the love story, gradually the love story grew so that now is, it takes more like 15, 20 minutes on its own but that initial sort of five minute idea in various incarnations sometimes it hasn't worked and the really scary bit of doing a show like this is if you get, uh, I had a girl last night who was doing it who was a bit more grumpy and wasn't quite up for it and when you start doing the things with it and it's a show still works but it works a hell of a lot better if you get the right audience members picked and it's going really well. Yeah that's well, right because so. I mean that's you have to they're the people you have to charm the most. Exactly and there's nothing there's nothing I can do about that and that's that's why this show for me is going to be so much more fun and I think I'm going to keep doing it for quite a while mm. after the Edinburgh Fringe and tour it. And you should do I some mean stuff. I, I think you definitely should so I mean with that piece with that like ex- that part of the show I mean is it okay for me to give some context I don't want to yeah, give yeah, spoilers right, but there's some things I definitely am not going to give spoilers about okay. two members of the audience who are single get picked a male and a female who then live a love story through the show and they are required to read scripts to have this love story and you narrate it yeah. which, which you know without that narration it would be you know I, you know that's it's it's that's the key I, I mean it's really impressive how you do it so at the culmination of it they are asked to kiss has anybody ever kissed properly yet i've had a kiss on the lips that's yeah. definitely happened i haven't had a full-on tongues and everything yeah kiss. i mean it could happen uh, it could happen there's like that magical moment have- in the audience where everyone's like are they going to kiss? Because you want them to. You want yeah. them to. You want them to. Speak. You actually want it to come true, and then they do get together and get married, and, and, and you know. And well, the uh, the worst time it's ever happened is that the boy went in for the kiss, ah. and the girl pulled away, and that that was the I think the worst ending I've ever had. So yeah, that's not that's romantic. <laughs> it's not romantic at all. And then you have to. I essentially give them the get out clause at the end and say, well, at least on the cheek, so that we still end with a happy ending. Yeah. Uh, but it was a shame, really. Yeah, yeah. Even though I am really reliant on these two random people, hopefully I think I can pull it off no matter who they are. I reckon That's you kind can. Of the idea, but. On the strength of the show I saw, you know, the previous show I saw, I'm pretty certain you can. You, you, you really seem to be so confident uh, in the in the middle of this show in a way that I get and that's what I think makes it work like when you're in a extract show and you're part of a lineup you haven't got control of your environment and so you can't you can't you can't charm people in the same way you know like when you did my show there was sound problems with the intro just because the nature of the show is that you're not going to have enough time with the techie to do it and I didn't know how to introduce you exactly and I'm publicly say I'm sorry about that Um, but that was what I thought and 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 also you have all the tech stuff like spot on like you've got a a mic that you use like a strap on mic that's another thing that makes it work so well uh, the tech is horrendously complicated in my show it goes wrong all the time sadly but sometimes it goes goes really well and that's fantastic but it will get better during the run as we iron out those tiny tiny little TV problems but the tech's some of the things that make it magical like the the tech is some of the stuff I'm not going to give a spoiler for just that, that, that's what I like about when a surprise happens and you're like, I don't know how that happened. I had to ask your brother who's doing tech, oh, how did that work? And he was, he told me, and I was like, that's brilliant. That's the thing, is, it has a lot of tech in it, but, it's, but what I like about it is it's, it doesn't focus on the tech. You don't no. really think about the tech. Like, without the tech, the show wouldn't be a show, but you, you, the audience aren't like, like wow, 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 tech. They're like, yeah. story, story, story. You know? again, yeah, again, without giving it away, I really wanted <laughs> to have 
tiny bit of magic yes. in people's heads. I think it's something really wonderful when you pull something off and people yeah, have that little moment of, I don't know how they did that. And that's, that's great. I'm really glad that that works. Yeah, no, it does. It's, it works really well. There's three themes, I guess, to the show. Like, love, uh, saving the world, and time travel. Yeah. I mean, and all of those are great themes. I like all of those themes, so I was so... For me, when I was writing the script, I was trying to get those themes into the other stories as yeah. well. Yeah, oh, they link, they're, they're all in all of them, yeah. I'm kind of obsessed with time travel. Like, I love Doctor Who. My last show was basically about time travel and how that interplays with fate, I think, is because how you can use effectively time travel as a symbolism for fate is a kind of more yeah, modern scientific absolutely. way of looking well, at it. Well, it's predeterminism in a exactly. way. I mean, I'm, I've got a, a teenage fiction trilogy that I've planned. I've never got around to writing, but like the, with a, an absolutely insane like gra- timeline graph, you know, when, once you get really yeah. into it, it goes round and round and, 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 and everything is predetermined. But and I don't, I don't believe in predeterminism. No, no. But um, I like, and I like it. Yeah, I, well, I think that's. Um, <laughs> yeah, the time travel in the show has a bit of almost Doctor Who style wonkiness to it because you have to use time travel so that it works best in the narrative yeah. rather than necessarily the version of time travel that you think might well be right. Yeah, but, yeah, it has to serve what your story, yeah. and and that's the thing. You like, so okay. So the second question that I ask people is, what do you do now? This storytelling thing that I'm doing as Superbards, I really want to take that places. I really want to keep working and I keep really moving it, but I'm actually starting an internship when I get back from Edinburgh with a computer games company called Six to Start. They do this wonderful game called Zombies Run, where you put in headphones and you go running, but essentially you're running away from zombies and they tell you a story about zombies, but you're also, just occasionally you just hear groans, it was like, zombies are 20 metres away and you have to like, so up your pace. Is there visuals or is that just an audio? No, just an audio. Oh, that's really interesting. That's what I thought when I heard it and I played it and then I sent them off an email and said, look, I would like to intern with you guys and see your process as to how you build a story like that and how you'll work like that because that's a route that I'd really like to think about. Starting to move these stories maybe partly away from the stage and into an app style world. Yeah, so that is an app then? That's an app. That's along the lines of some apps which friends of mine are working on the Hackney Here and the Soho Stories apps where yeah. you walk around a location and it's GPS, GPS tr- triggers stories and histories and songs and the, like there's magical moments where you look at like the Hackney Here one I, with me and my girlfriend were doing it together and you sort of you see the Lido in the, di- in the distance and suddenly a rap song comes on about the Lido you know oh, and you're like wow you know and, the, and, the, and that's the sort of thing that I want to sort of start wow. working into and start going towards I have no idea what this will actually come to but yeah ideally I'm thinking something quite site specific yeah. how I can tell a story in different fashions and use headphones and, or an app or GPS in different ways yeah I mean it's, just, it's a new a new country for storytellers exactly. and I mean, it's so exciting to sort of be we're essentially here at sort of the birth of it yeah. And that's just thrilling. It's just brilliant. And I hope that I've got some of the tools that will enable me to do something really good there. And yeah. So. I mean, it's, that's the thing. Like, when me and my girlfriend, we both make stories in different ways. And when we went on the Hackney Here trial run, one of the reasons we went on it is because there's a story that she wrote as part of it. So that was magical hearing her story through the same yeah, yeah. But we both came away from it going, you know, what about this, we could do this, you know, all of these exactly. new ideas were like, oh, we could tell a story from loads of different people's viewpoints and uh, mm. you go and stand in each part of the room and you hear a different you hear person's them. opinion about a, an event that happens in the middle and then you have to work out who's telling the truth, you know, wow. It's like that. <laughs> the other thing I'm really excited about is if you start telling a story, as you say, from maybe two points of view, yeah. but to two different people and then you get them to talk, and then you don't know what they're going to necessarily talk about, but how that interaction could make a whole new story yeah, of its absolutely. own. For me, that interaction and people speaking to each other should be part of stories as well. Yeah. And it's something that we can really draw on and put in and really work it. 
is. Yeah, that's really a good idea. In fact, so that's what you're doing kind of for your day job, really. Is it? I mean, internships, they, are they well, paid? They're no, not paid, uh, that, that is paid, actually. Oh, really? But, um, that's good. I'm all for paid internships. It was really nice of them to do this. Like, I literally sent a CV completely off spec and just said, look, this is who I am, this is what I do. And they said, yeah, come in for an interview and we went for it. So that's brilliant. I do have a boring paid job that's going to allow me to essentially do the internship. So I work part-time as an actuary. As a what? As an actuary. What's that? I work in insurance. Ah, uh, okay. So I decide odds for an insurance company, essentially. That's, um, okay. Uh, I did my first degree. I was a library assistant for a while. I'm not going to I'm not gonna hassle you for having a boring job. Oh, no. It's like, <laughs> in some ways, it's... It's been brilliant, but I, although it's not as interesting as my other job, it's allowing me to work part-time, yeah. it's funding me to do what I really want to do, and to have a job that can do that and to still allow me to live in London is amazing. Oh, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the same now. I work part-time, and I mean... I just I'm so I'm such a big believer in part time. Yeah. You know, I mean I still find it impossible to fit everything in that I wanna do. Oh, but and, and so you end up moaning about it even though you shouldn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you have to like occasionally kick yourself and, and remind yourself what it was like working full time. And doing everything else that yeah, you're trying exactly. to do. Exactly. Yeah. Or not doing it because you're just too tired or whatever. You know, there's there's been years in my life when I've not been creative because it's just it felt too much. And then yeah. you then you find the energy from somewhere and that that's great because it's good for your soul but yeah but it's much better working part-time yeah. yeah absolutely <laughs> and so yeah and so i guess so that you're doing this internship and you you got a part-time boring proper job but you also are a storyteller and that's kind of what where superbar came from i mean yeah what when did you sort of how did you become a storyteller how did that happen yeah. um I did an MA in creative writing at Birkbeck, which was fantastic. It was a really, really good university, and you write mostly short stories, and then the idea is at the end you either write a collection of short stories or a novel, or well, it's an extract from a novel for your dissertation, essentially. And whilst I was doing that, I was starting to think, okay, I can, I can tell stories. My stories... I'm not, I'm not going to be the world's best writer. That is something you have to sort of get inside yourself and realise fairly early on. It really helped my writing, made it a hell of a lot better, but to be the best thing that I can be, I need to use all the talents that I potentially have, all my strings to my bow, essentially. And yeah. I've done a lot of acting before at university. I'm not the world's best actor or anything, but I can do that. I can write music fairly well, and I'm quite technical, so I can throw that in. And so Superbard, well, I did my first show uh, off the MA, essentially, with stories from the MA. At that point, it was just Superbard, and it was just stories to music, but gradually I've tried to get more and more into it as I've progressed it and made it a bigger thing. Before that, then, you wanted to be a writer, I guess, before that. Yeah. What did you do your degree Maths and statistics. Maths and statistics, wow. Yeah. That's a, a, an interesting it, jump. It was a meet. Yeah, I, this is one of the things that I think is quite horribly wrong about our university system in that you pick which direction you want to go too young. You don't understand where you're going to go at that stage. So I think the real issue was almost when I picked for my A-levels. And <laughs> yeah. I picked the subjects that I was really good at. So I did maths, further maths, physics, chemistry, and English language. All right. Because of the creativity yeah. side. English language is very useful. My girlfriend did English language as a degree, and I, I, can't, I sometimes I'm a bit jealous of it. It's... it's Right. She has knowledge that, about words that I, I just yeah. do not have. You know. I only did that to AS in the end, but it's, it was such a good course. It was really good, and that's definitely inspired me to go on further. But as I only did that to AS, yeah. my limitations you know, with those A-levels meant that really I, I, I could do maths or physics or something. And so I did that because I was good at it and enjoyed it as well. I did quite like it by maths as well yeah. then coming out you've got to suddenly think about what you want to do and suddenly with a maths and statistics degree you realise that there are some really good options some really fantastic options but it wasn't what I wanted yeah. and so I ended up having to well, do almost my conversion MA into creative writing to sort of send me that way um, yeah I mean how did, how, how did you convince them to let you do 
creative writing when you had maths? I mean, as your main degree, I mean, uh, I wrote some stories. Ah, right. um, so it's portfolio. Said that it, was a, it was a portfolio of work okay. that I had that I sent to them at the time. And looking back at some of those stories, they're awful. But they must have seen something. They must have seen something there. And I think, to be honest, one of the things that they actually saw was more the maths and statistics side and how that was playing into the stories and how it made me a different writer than I would be if I was if I'd done an English degree. So because I'm quite a logical writer in some ways. I yeah. like I, I really enjoy structure of stories. It's well your show is very much a puzzle almost that you yeah. kind of put together from all of these different strands and that's what makes that's what makes it the pay the emotional payoffs come from those structural payoffs. So I mean yeah for sure I can see that in your work, yeah. Yeah, and, and so I, I generally write quite a lot of science fiction and slight fantastical. My fantastical elements often have some mathematical basis or some thought that came to it. So, yeah, the first show I took to Edinburgh had a story called God's Number in it. And, like, it was never, that, for me, that I wasn't content that that was just a random number. I had to work out what a God's number <laughs> could possibly be. Okay. Um, there's a mathematical number that is essentially if you set off a random program, the idea of a random program is a bit ridiculous, but I, I love it. It's the probability that that random program will stop and you can't make this number. They have no idea how to get and they've got it down to like maybe a couple of decimal places and that's through some really amazing maths to even get it that far. And there's a theory that if we knew that, then we would know, you know the answer to everything. And this, this is what we should send out through the galaxies to prove how intelligent we are. Okay. And so little concepts like that you can then use and build into your story. And you don't have to use any of any of the ridiculous maths behind it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you can just use little elements of that and change that. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm... I get involved in science fiction too, I'm really interested in that too, but I come from the other side, you know. I mean, that, that's more and more though, writers and musicians and artists and everybody are really combining the ideas coming out of science and the ideas coming out yeah. of uh, the art, and that's great, because they originally were mixed. Yeah, you know? and why, why did we why stop? Why did we split them? I don't understand it. For me, it's all about blending things. I try and blend all music and things into my stories, and I try and blend science and art together, and it's where these things meet, that's where the interest happens for me. Yeah. Where, where did you study, perhaps? Uh, Warwick. That's how I met Lucy, Lucy. actually. Yeah. It's been really nice coming up this year, because this year is the first time that we've come up as like a collective of shows. Yeah, tea Fueled, yeah. Tea Fueled, yeah. And so we've got, I've directed a few shows as well, so I'm directing Lucy's yeah. and I'm directing a few others. And I love Lucy's show. It's really good. And she's doing really well. It's really nice that we can see our shows feeding off each other a little bit and sort of people are seeing one and then thinking, oh no, these guys, maybe we'll go and see another and that's... That's right. Brilliant. Well, I mean, yeah, yours and Lucy's shows are the ones I'm, I'm, I'm t t telling everyone to go and see. And you've, mm. you made all your artworks so that they kind of sort of slot up. Sort of slot up in... Yeah, yeah. and make very strange faces. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we wanted to have some form of theme to our artwork without them all looking exactly the same so yeah and how did that collective come about like how did how did you get together there's a couple of other important people in tea fields yeah, um, sure. that essentially all, we all came from Warwick University we just kind of had the same ideals about art the main one being that it should not be too pretentious and it should be fun fun, um, fun is what you've all got in common I think yeah. that's the main thing and so we've just started creating shows and it's gradually become more of a serious collective like we've got monthly meetings and all of that sort of fun <laughs> and we've actually got a show down in London as well going on at the moment which is wonderful that it's getting bigger and yeah, better and we're doing really six shows concurrently at the moment it's just a really great bunch of people who like each other and get on with each other and want to create shows and videos we do quite a lot of video work yeah um, together well, I, mean, I was really looking well. at your website and you've got like a very um, you've got a kind of really open like open door policy yes. as well like you're sort of saying if you've got an idea we're, we're producers now send us your stuff send us we'll stuff I was like right I'll write that down and, and then have a go in the future yeah well, we've got a night called Flea Circus and the aim is that what we want to do is we want to get artists in to come and curate Flea Circus night 
and then we'll make something with them. So raise the funds using the night, and then we will make it some yeah. form of project with them, whatever that will be, because we're open to yeah, I like formats that, and ideas. It's really good. You're like, you're like that, and it. I mean, I guess it's not. It's not making you any money, I guess, but <laughs> but it but it is like having results, like your your publicity and your videos and all of those things are really high quality, which is which is great, you know. I mean, it's a strange feeling though, isn't it? When you're getting the older you get, the better you, the better you are able you to get. do stuff. When you're like, what? what? You know. Suddenly you realise that you're looking at stuff that you've got in front of you. You're like, oh, that's. No, we're, we're doing okay here. Yeah, um, this is like a professional's work. Yeah, hang yeah. on. What's what going on? Yeah. And the amount of free publicity we've got this year is amazing. So many mentions of like the Scotsman, yeah. all, like all over the shop. And to even think of having that a year ago is yeah. a dream. You know? it's, it's crazy. Dream. I mean, I had a, I, there was an article way, way too late to help me out, but uh, yeah. there was an article in The Independent the other week about stand-up tragedy and I was like what's going on like there I mean that's my quote in the byline what's going on you know yeah, yeah. Oh. but yeah it's um I don't know maybe I mean I don't think this I don't think this for you but maybe for me it's just a, a moment and a blip and it will be gone but it's, it's, well, a, it's a nice blip I don't know exactly it's a nice blip. so you make music you made music yeah. well, when did you start making music I had a fantastic piano teacher when I was younger who more or less stopped teaching me through the grades and more taught me composition instead. Taught me mainly through jazz composition. <laughs> Not that I'm a good jazz pianist. That took me down a completely different path musically than if I'd have just gone to an ordinary classical piano teacher. Right. And so ever since then, like originally I wanted to be a rock star because doesn't everyone Yeah, I, I, I did, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure it's universal but it feels like it is, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly anyone who's picked <laughs> up an instrument and done it for more than a couple yeah. of years, I think. He yeah, really helped me and really pushed me forward in, in a direction that was really helpful. So for a while music was just another thing that I did and so I've you know done a few shows, played in a few bands and things. That's gradually gradually become even more of a sideline than when we talk about pure music, but has become so much bigger when we talked about writing music, particularly for films and for, and for my yeah. stories as well. Yeah. How old were you when you started playing piano? Well, I started playing guitar actually first right. at the age of something ridiculous, like sort of almost six or seven, wow. one of the really young ones, and I was really good at it, and I got to grade five by the age of 11, and that was classical guitar, and then, like an idiot, I gave it up. I gave up guitar. I'd started piano by that point, maybe at the age of nine or ten or something, but I gave up the guitar that I was evidently doing really very, very well at. What's he doing? I've since re-picked up the guitar. There's a lot of guitar in my work, but, you know, I I kind of feel almost re-self-taught. So for about five years I didn't play guitar at all, but kept going with the piano. Sometimes I want to go back and, and slap my ten-year-old self and uh, say, "Why do you want to give this up?" I know what you mean. I, I gave up. I, I wasn't very good at it, but I gave up an instrument. I played violin when I was a kid, and I, I wish I, I, you know, I want to go back and slap myself and say, "Don't give that up." But I want yeah. to go back even further and say, "Don't start that. Start start uh, this. Start guitar at yeah. that age." And then I want to go back to my fifteen-year-old self and say, "Learn guitar. Don't just <laughs> learn a couple of chords and so you can sing." You know, it took me to like, I mean, I can't, I'm, 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 you know, I can play to write songs. Yeah. And I can play my stuff. But yeah. it, make, it means that, you know, when people want me to play it, like my mum wanted me to play at her party, and I said, like, I can only play my stuff. People do not people know don't. my songs, and my songs are a little bit occasionally shouty or weird. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're not going to go down well at a party, but I, still made me play it. I can sight read piano, alright, but only because I cheat. I read the tune, and I read the chords above, and that's enough for me to make something up underneath that sounds oh, roughly like it was going. player that does exactly that, that method for working out how to play it. Yeah, I, but it means... I'm not really that good a pianist or that good a guitarist, but as you said, I sit down in front of a mixing desk and I yeah. Pluck well, you're a, a good mixer. I mean, thing. I really like you know your your music is really well mixed in your in your pieces. So, so music was music the first thing creative that you kind of got into. I think so. Yeah, music was. And so, when did stories start? Like, when did that happen? I suppose, like when I was younger, I always used to love the when you do the creative writing tasks and. I'd write stories when I was quite young and again, 
read them now and I wish I could say it was child prodigy stuff. It, it definitely wasn't. No, me too. Um, but I kind of, again, stopped sort of writing when I was about 15-ish, maybe. But then I wrote a musical when I was at university and it was that that sort of pushed me to rediscover that creative writing side that I always really enjoyed doing and there's something really lovely about just getting words on paper and there's something really nice about the first draft the, before it's had any of the changes and you know, we discussed changes earlier and I change stuff all the time it's constantly working but obviously when I was younger I didn't do that you, yeah, don't, you don't know that that's what yeah, you do yeah. but that first draft even when you're writing that and putting those initial words on the page because still quite a lot of them end up in the end thing yeah. for me that's almost that's one of the most exciting bits when you start doing that and coming up with a new idea for a story or a new character that you want to write about is what's really exciting yeah well it's magic isn't it yeah. I mean it's the same thing that you go that you want the audience to have at the end is what you also have yourself at the beginning mm. but, but it can be frustrating trying to get those words out on paper as Absolutely. well but then I guess I think it's the frustration that, that gives you the payoff yeah know? which is yeah which is great I'm just going to check that time Okay. This is a this is a weird conversation I should say to people at home because uh, not only am I very tired but I'm also getting a train at six thirty and so and it's five forty now so I'm uh, anybody that knows me personally knows I'm absolutely neurotic about travelling uh, so I'm 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 doing my best to be respectful to to George uh, at the same time as being neurotic so yeah why do you want to save the world why do I because it needs <laughs> <laughs> I think because it needs saving. A few years ago now, I wrote a ranty article to The Guardian about baby boomers and have since been asked to do various little bits on Radio 4 and Newsnight where essentially they get me to rant as a young person. Unfortunately, I think I've become slightly too old to rant as a young person now. But I'm fairly politically active, not like ridiculously so, and I think we there are some serious problems in the world and I would love to sort them out, but I also know that they're too big for me to sort out, and that's actually one of those really sad, tragic things that you realise when you get older that, no, I can't I know, I had this, this. I have had this myself, yeah. Yeah, and... <laughs> In a perfect world, I would come along and say, no, stop doing that, we'll take the Tories out and we will fix this, but we're not in a perfect world. No, so. I know, um, but that, I mean, and that's one of the big themes of your show is that we're not in a perfect world, but no. also that maybe we can do little things to make it more perfect or to improve it. I think that's it. For me, it, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I actually really restrained my politics in the show. Yeah, I really. I think, I think, I think wisely. Like it made it more powerful. I think mm. politically almost because you did restrain those things. I thought, I felt. I yeah, there, there have been versions as, you know, where I was much more. I, there's a ranty bit at one point in the show, and the ranty bit has been far more political and far more ranty about what we can do to sort out the world. But for me. It, it is key that we, I think it all comes from this idea that we don't love each other, we don't smile at each other, we don't, we look at other people and we think of them as strangers and, you know, that horrible phrase, a stranger is just a friend waiting to be met, but it's true to some extent, you know, everyone yeah. out there is a nice person once, that's not true, that is, that is something I wish was true. I know, but, me too. You know, you can talk to people, and most people are nice, and if most people would allow themselves to do what they, those nicer things that they yeah, kind of want to have, do in their heart. definitely have nice inside them, that's the thing. Yeah, and I don't think we let it out enough, and I think it's those selfish choices <coughs> a lot of the time that is the reason the world is like it is. And I mean, the whole idea of capitalism is based on this idea that we should all be making selfish choices and furthering ourselves and actually the best bits of the world are when we don't. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the speech that you have in, you're, you're referring to, I mean, it, it, it's kind of, 
it, it talks about how by making ourselves individuals, we stop stop being a whole. We stop being yeah. all together. We, and I mean, and that 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 balance is a hard one, isn't it? Because mm. if you go too far one way, then you lose. Like, Absolutely, you don't, don't want to lose your individuality, but no. you don't want to lose our collective uh, power, our collectiveness. Yeah, and I really responded to that bit. And I think it's it's a wise move to make it just subtle, to not bash people over the yes, head. Yes, I really didn't want to do and it. And you it's tell not. the, in the, in the intro as well, you just with pictures, you can say what's wrong with the world as well. You don't yeah. have to do a big rant. Exactly. Um, you know, this is the advantage of using video. You can yeah. put up a video of something and suddenly, instantly, people... And people make their own choices you. about how they relate to those pictures. Exactly. And so you can be of any political persuasion probably if you put up those pictures I reckon everybody even the Tories would agree that that's what's wrong with the world yeah what they would think needs to be done to solve that is completely different but I think that's that's a a, a strong thing about the show for sure and I mean you sound like me you know when you say you're you're a little bit active not as active as you'd like but you're a little bit active I'm I'm similar I mean I I think it's one of those horrendous time things. Like I, I, I don't protest enough. I don't yeah. go out and do these things and complain uh, like I should do. Yeah. Um, it comes to the point where you're like, I, I'm running an arts collective. I'm doing this super bad stuff, and yeah. when I get back, I'll have two part-time jobs. It's there are unfortunately there are only so many hours a week, and it, it feels like such a problem. weak excuse. I know. It feels like why am I saying like. I'm making art, then therefore I can't do much more important things than making art. Yeah. And then you have that thing where you some, sometimes, or I don't, I don't say it much myself, but sometimes people say to me, "You're making art that's trying to change the world, so you're doing your bit." Which I, I, I don't I just buy don't, it. No. I do not buy that. No, I, I think it's rubbish. I think, you know, <laughs> I think sadly, the way to do your bit properly is to, to try actually and do actually your bit. do your yeah, bit. I agree. And. As much as I would like to claim that my show is going to save the world, it's 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 not. No, it's, uh, even if it contributes, it's not enough on its own. You know? yeah. Like other people may not have the time to make art about saving the world. You know, yeah. Like, th- th- and and we can't say, well, why aren't you doing anything if we're also not doing anything? Yeah. So it is. I, I always yeah. When people say that, I never really buy it. I mean, I do recognise that art can try to say. Oh, that. absolutely, and, and we probably can, should. And the contributions are important. Some, some theatre is really pushing that and really going for that. And I think uh, you know, there's some really fairly dangerous theatre in, com- in countries where yeah. you've got oppression that is probably doing a hell of a lot more to yeah. save the world, exactly. certainly than my show. Uh, but, yeah. You know, I, I think it is one way of fighting. But I do think there are a more effective way of fighting might be fighting to fight. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, it's it is weird. Like, I went to I went on a few UK uncut demos, and I was on the big March twenty six March, and then my uh, my podcast took off, and you know I haven't done anything <laughs> since then. You know, I, but I, I mean I don't know if it's even taken the point off. Where you're like, I don't consumes me. Sorry. You get to the point where you're like, I don't think we can. Although, although we can feel guilty, but we can't <laughs> blame ourselves for it because we can't, we can't do everything. And no, we we have to have a life. And it's it's that kind of, you know, when you think you can change the world when you're young, it's it's it's, it's, it's kind of a lie, it's kind of a lie in itself. And then when you recognise that, you realise, hang on, when I was young, I was scared that when I was old, I would stop thinking I could change the world. And that's true, you know, I, I have so, that person. But then also I find, I think parents quite often, uh, well not parents, but you know, that generation above often say, you can change the world and you can do all these things. And then there is that horrible disappointment when you realise that, no, they were just lying. Um, <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I think it's something that's kind of plagues you ever since, doesn't it? Yeah, no, and that's true. I, I wonder if that's... I wonder if it's something that's happened possibly more to our generation than others. Because of the 60s. Well, because of the 60s and also because we were brought up in the booming 90s as well, where everyone thought, no, suddenly everything is possible. And and our parents thought, yes, no, you can go and do everything. Now is the time. Now the world is getting better. And then we soon found out that wasn't 
Yeah, I mean, that's a funny one, though, isn't it? I mean, I get, you know, whether whether it's at the worst it's ever been. Well, I think it is the worst it's ever been, but it's still a cycle, isn't it? There's like every, you know, generations yeah. are always saying this is the worst it's ever been. I, but I do think it is technologically speaking. That's what that's what really puts us into this position now. We've never had as much control control or power mm. over the world around us uh, before. So when it goes bad now, it's, it gets really bad. You know, I. I'm also a horrendous optimist <laughs> in, in, yeah. all, in all of this, like, which is great. I, I, I think one of the one of the big things for me is that you know we often talk about going to war and things of that sort. But actually, if you look at the amount of deaths through human conflicts through time, it just gradually gets lower and lower, and that's brilliant. You know, we haven't had a world war for a very long time now, and that's great. And I don't think we can envisage it almost was now no. so connected that economically it would be crippling for big countries to go to war with each other so there's part of me that thinks yes we're getting it very wrong but I kind of hope I kind of wish that gradually and I think probably it will be a slow process we might start getting it right and I think in some places we're going to get it right too late which means we're going to have to do some probably horrible things um, but then I have a poem that I've been doing for a while that this is called Things I Worry About and it's just a list of things I do I just say I worry about this and I say that I don't worry about global warming because I think we'll sort it out and, and what I mean by that is I think we'll completely screw up the Earth's climate and then we will have to come up with a technological solution and I don't think that's the right way I don't think that we should should get that far but well, I hope you're right <laughs> yes I, I, mean, I, I hope I'm right yeah. I don't know in the time of need, sometimes we do pull it out of the bag. I know what you mean. I mean, I know what you mean. About, like, I'm, I'm not an optimist. Right? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I call myself a realist. Other people might call me a cynic. But you are right. You know, there are, you, you know, to be a realist, as I see myself, you have to acknowledge, you know, the rights in a lot of the world have improved tremendously. Yeah. Like it's better to be a gay person in this in this in this country at the moment than it's ever been before exactly. it's better to be any minority group it's things have massively improved for women not that i'm saying that feminism is as, 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 as can be done away with it, it should be continued absolutely but it's we're better. not it's we're better. not done but it feels like it's all going in the right trajectory that it's improved since the suffragettes time yeah you know, that's 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 something that's happened and i've been listening to this podcast called hardcore history which is about like what it says it's like really long complicated history it's quite accessible i think but it's uh, it's long and complicated and it's at the moment it's the history of genghis khan and when you, what you're saying about war, you know, just made me think like the, the horrific things that, 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 that Genghis Khan is doing in this. And I can't even, like, it just sounds like hell on earth. Like what was happening there is much, like, I'm not saying it's like Vietnam wasn't bad. No, but, but Genghis Khan was worse. Like, oh my God. I mean, even the fact that we have rules of war, I'm not, you know, obviously yeah. we, we don't always follow them, but the fact that we have them, just this idea that if we're at war, we should try and do various things that, that make it more humane. I don't really understand yeah, how you can make it more weird, humane. Yeah, it's such a weird area. As well area. as an optimist, I'm also a massive pacifist. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But we are doing better. You can plot the amount of deaths in conflict compared to the overall population, and it's dramatically, dramatically better than we have been ever before and I hope that that trend will continue and I hope that we will continue to increase rights, as you say, for minorities and everyone else and gradually maybe we will make the world a better place. The problem is it feels so slow. The big thing standing in everything's way at the moment is the massive wealth inequality that yeah. is like I think we've got more inequality of wealth. I don't know the statistics, but if, I think yes, we've got a higher inequality of wealth than we've ever had historically. I mean, like, you look at the Roman times, the, the emperors were nothing like the people who are in charge of corporations compared to a homeless person on the street now. Or you know, even a person in this country, someone in a third world country. There's a massive gulf, and that's really where the and, fight comes, I guess. And I suppose this is where if everyone just thought that we should just be a bit nicer to each other, someone with these massive amount of wealth should probably end up going, well maybe 
I should give some of it away. Maybe I should try and use it. Yeah. And use it for good. In America, they do have quite a philanthropic aspect to, to some of the super rich out there. Sometimes. And I think that's great. I wish, almost wish they didn't need to get that rich before they started doing it. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing being very successful and then using your success to help others. I think that's what we should be trying to do yeah. really, with that, our lives. That makes sense to me on a, on a, on a certain level. I mean, I'm not going to get into a big nuanced conversation <laughs> about politics because I think we share a lot, but we're also very different on our, on our politics. But it, it definitely is true that, I mean, you try and get successful. The motivation for that is first to make your own life better. Then mm-hmm. to make your family's life better, and then if you have enough money that you can make more people's lives better, then then surely that's the reason you're doing it. Yeah. Otherwise, what, 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 what is your is success purpose? for? Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> slightly impressed with myself that my brain is functioning okay, but I'm thankful that I've got too much longer to hold out before I crash and burn. So the last question that I ask people is, do you have anything to plug? So, uh, <laughs> I think yeah. we've done a whole thing about plugging. Yeah, we've done uh, a lot of it on that, yeah. So, do you know what? I won't plug my show. Well, you should say when it is. nine, yeah. ten, <laughs> Superbird starts to save the world in Spotlight, so I won't plug that. So second to the 90. Do come along. I, I won't plug that. Okay. That'd be ridiculous. What I'd like to do is plug Lucy Ayrton's show, which is what I directed, which is at 6.30 in the Banshee Labyrinth. She's telling some wonderful poetry. You should all go along and watch that. She's been on Getting Better Acquainted very recently, and if you listen to that, you'll hear a lot, quite a lot about that show. Although I saw that, we recorded that ages before she actually did the show, so we got onto other topics as well. But when I do these ones with people who are doing a show, that's just so fresh in my mind, and it's so relevant to you. It just makes sense to cover it for the majority of the time. So the last thing that I ask people to do is to say goodbye to the audience. Bye audience. <laughs> nice to hear from you. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> you can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at UBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook. It's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.